Hi, y'all. This is Kristen Chenoweth. Hi, I'm Gloria Stefan. This is Sarah Bareilles. Hi, I'm Patty Lapone. This is Lynn Manuel Miranda. You're listening to the Broadway Podcast Network. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. I should have gotten this out of the way right at the beginning. This is a Christmas musical, everyone. We there we should absolutely be talking about this during December because <laughs> this whole mystery goes down on Christmas Eve. How right at the beginning of the script, the chairman says, Cloisteram! Not a particularly encouraging setting for the Christmas season now upon us. So happy holidays, Edwin wow. Drood. <laughs> <laughs> Welcome, everybody, to a musical theater podcast where we discuss the cultural and emotional impact of some of our favorite musicals in theater history. My name is Jeffrey Scott Parsons. You can call me Jeff. Today, we are covering the musical The Mystery of Edwin Drood, and I'm so happy we're doing it. It's going to be a great time. Joining me is an author and podcaster, author of What You Might Ask, oh, just a book about celebrating the Tony Awards, and another one celebrating designers in Broadway history, because she's also a fashion writer, which, by the way, I'd love to hear your take on the intersection of fashion and, like, the two-inch character heel in black. Oh, I, yeah, I have a lot of because Because <laughs> that. That, that sounds like, you know something you'd have to face in your sphere of interest. Uh, anyway, she also co-hosts a delightful podcast called Jiffy Pop Culture. Everyone, please welcome Isla Mel. Hello. Yay. <laughs> welcome to a musical theater podcast. I'm so grateful you're here. This is great. Talk to me, because when we were discussing uh, what show you'd like to, you know, come on and chat about, this was one yeah. of them, Mystery of Edwin Drood. Well, I feel like I have a very strong relationship to this show because I I love it so much. I saw it over and over and over in the original run. Um, jealous, first I, of all. Jealous. Well, really, yeah. I got to see so many different Edwin Droods, and I, I saw so many different pairings. Of you know the lovers and the murderer and you know it was so much fun to see and just be a part of just walking in the theater was such an experience it was so great that's amazing and um, so um, I had a professor who was a director and he actually directed the national tour of the mystery of Edwin oh my gosh while I was his student yeah while you were a student so. Yes. So I got to go to see their final rehearsal before they went out on the road because they rehearsed the show in New York. Oh my gosh. That's kind of, that's yeah. brilliant. I, I love, like, this is such a fun show. It's such a fun theatrical show to be an audience member of, you know, yeah. it's unusual in that way. It, it feels singular. Uh, so I'm grateful that both of us can kind of share our audience experiences with it. I'm, we're just going to dive right in because there's a lot to discuss. First off, let's tell the backstory of The Mystery of Edwin Drood, which was the final work of legendary author Charles Dickens, right? And all of his stories were serialized. They would come out a little bit at a time in the newspaper. People would get really into him, and, and then eventually you'd get the whole thing. Well... But this was like an old-timey Netflix. Yeah, yeah. Oh. <laughs> 100%. But there was no binge. Uh, you, you had to be a patient. 
so they're, everyone's waiting for the next installment. It's coming, it's coming, it's coming. And then all of a sudden, boom, he dies, tragically. Horrible. And so the book was not finished. There, he had only written so far. And it leaves England with, pardon the language, with like the biggest case of blue balls you've ever heard of, right? Like, yes. Because nobody knows how this great mystery ends. And it is something that scholars have debated ever since. So that's like the backstory of this source material. Thank you, Charles Dickens. Now, now that that's out of the way, let's talk Rupert Holmes. Seems to me that uh, you have a lot of memories from the 80s. Is, I do. Am I, am I okay in assuming that? Absolutely. And let me tell you that Rupert Holmes is a friend. Actually. No way. Yes. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> I didn't How know is that? that? Can you? I didn't know this. Please. Yeah, I know. So I met him through a family member who was in a club that Rupert was part of. And it was a small, it was like maybe 10 guys were in this club. So that's okay. how I know him. I, and so then I had him on as a guest to Jiffy Pop Culture. We don't have very many guests, but since it was Rupert, I mean, I have. Hello. <laughs> exactly. Yes. So, um, and he thought I wanted to talk about the Pina Colada song. Little did he know that was the last thing I cared about. I wanted to talk about. <laughs> I don't about, care at all. <laughs> no, I wanted to talk about his theater stuff. So that's what we talked about. And yeah, so we bonded over that. And he actually has um, a mystery novel out that I just went to hear him read part of it. It was amazing. He's got, I mean, he really has a mystery mind. He so does. the idea, and I mean, one of his other musicals that he stepped in to help, fin- I mean, it's its kind of strange, to help finish after someone had passed away was Curtains, right. another, another musical mystery. And Fred <laughs> had, of course, passed away. Like, what a career. But Rupert Holmes wrote the music, lyrics, and book for Mystery of Edwin Drood, which is um, among a very few amount of uh, uh, writers to do so. Meredith Wilson, Music Man, comes to mind. Dave Malloy, who we just got done talking about in Natasha Pierre and the Great Comet of 1812, is another. Michael R. Jordan from Strange Loop, right? So j- there are a few. Stu from Passing Strange. I digress. Right. But Rupert wait, Holmes- this, was, um, this was crazy because I think this was Rupert's first show. And he did everything. And it's his first show. I know. <laughs> You're absolutely right. You're absolutely right. He has a really fascinating story. He starts out as a singer-songwriter. Yeah. He has this first album that comes out that goes, like, nowhere. <laughs> <laughs> I think he said that maybe 10,000 copies of this album were created. Yeah. But critics loved it, and one of those 10,000 copies gets to the hands of one Barbara Streisand. I mean, if, if it's going to go to anybody, right? If it's good. <laughs> <laughs> That's the one you want. For real, right? Yeah. So Babs loves his songwriting and decides, all right, I want you to write some songs for me. He does. He works on, I think, the Songbird album. Is that right? I Maybe? I don't know. Could be. Main event? <laughs> something like that. Yeah, right. People I don't are going to hate me. I apologize. Uh, right, I know. I was too busy with Britney Spears' autobiography. I haven't got to Babs <laughs> yet. But the point is, is that they work together. He becomes an arranger for those songs and helps produce them. And that leads to him, like him working with Barbara Streisand leads to him getting... Uh, uh, more contracts to make more albums despite his original one not selling that many <laughs> and didn't he do a star is born with her i think he might have really I think oh so. it might have been around that time i know he worked with her and john peters for sure oh well there you go yeah he told us some good stories about john peters on jiffy pop culture <laughs> oh my gosh what episode was this i'm gonna have to go back and listen it was a special episode it was we oh, have cute. interview episodes and they're labeled so it's clearly okay. like rupert holmes it's not like rupert holmes comes on and talks about mommy dearest or something no 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 okay cool cool so rupert holmes then creates a couple more albums one of them has the pina colada song which is kind of what he's famous for in yeah. in like pedestrian culture regular people muggle culture everybody knows that song everybody Even knows who sang it fair, fair enough right but it also leads to him doing these cabaret nights all around new york city all of his songs are kind of story songs so they work really well in the cabaret setting he's doing a lot of spoken dialogue and telling stories in between those shows start getting really great notices, and it attracts the wife of Mr. Joseph Papp. Now, for those who may not remember, Joseph Papp was in charge of the New York Shakespeare Festival. 
and had definitely pivoted into some big mammoth monumental musical theater pieces, a.k.a. a chorus line for crying out loud. Yeah. And then had just had a big success with remounting Pirates of Penzance and taking it to Broadway. And that was a huge smash. So he and his wife go to see one of his shows and then send him a note after the show that's basically like, have you ever thought of writing a musical? And there's this quote that I want to read from Mr. Holmes because it just, it made me giddy. I thought it was so cute. It was as if someone finally picked up the message I was trying to send, which was, please let me find a way into musical theater. Wow. Isn't that so sweet? Like he had been writing these story songs, I mean, for Barbara Streisand, no less. (laughs) And, And so on some level, this was his way into musical theater where he actually wanted to be. He's got to be the luckiest person in show business, though, because first (laughs) he just happens to come across Barbara Streisand and then Joe Papp. Come on. (laughs) It's a fair point. Not many of us get these many breaks uh, in our careers. (laughs) Turns out Rupert Holmes grew up in England. Yes. Did not know this either. Right. So grateful that you uh, actually suggested this episode because I've learned so much. (laughs) But he grows up in England and gets to know specifically the British Music Hall tradition. It It's interesting because I feel like Panto, partially because drag is a, a heavy influence yeah. in that art form, has really resurfaced a lot lately. And not only in England, but on the West Coast, the Lithgow family is always doing Pantos at Pasadena Playhouse and all sorts of things. But it's this idea of telling a story that everyone knows with a ridiculous troupe of characters. Yeah. So thinking of a modern one, they'll do Peter Pan, except Tinkerbell will be a drag queen. And, you know, like, (laughs) yeah. And then they will add a lot of popular songs that they'll just interplot into the show. It's not necessarily original work. But uh, but they're they're songs that guaranteed everyone will want to hear and and want to see. Yeah, knowing that tradition of English music hall, which also tends to be very body, mm-hmm. even maybe liken it to American vaudeville, where yeah. it's burlesque and there's a lot of sexual humor and you know you go up to the audience member and you're like, sir, how dare you touch me there? You know, and everyone <laughs>, laughs and. Very much that. Knowing that, he creates this structure for the mystery of Edwin Drood of a show within a show. We are now entering into this English music hall with this troupe of players who will all be playing the characters of the mystery of Edwin Drood. Necessary because, as we mentioned before, nobody knows how this thing ends. <laughs> right, yeah. There needs to be a little bit of self-awareness in, in adapting this story for the stage <laughs> right. because the elephant in the room is nobody knows how it goes. After he sits down and, and is kind of thinking through all of these influences and ways of presenting the show, he comes up with the idea, what if the ending changes every night and the audience votes it? So it was like the first interactive show, really. On the Broadway stage. Right. For sure. Yeah. For sure. And you think of how, well, looking at Natasha Pierre and the Great Comet of 1812, like the idea of how the audience has become more integrated into Mm -hmm. shows and now you can buy tickets where you sit on stage and all of that sort of thing feels quite modern but go back to 1985 they were doing it with mystery of edwin drood uh, to an even more complex oh my place God. in yeah, many it ways was, it was quite a system they had in place because the actors came out into the audience and there was no phones or anything nothing digital they had to tally the votes so, each, oh, so they actors sure i didn't even out. think about that yeah so it would be like the main characters would come out into the audience and everybody would have their own section and they would have to you know say raise your hand for this one and that one and Mm -hmm. it was really you know low tech but it was so fun because you were it was you know you were in the show it was an event it was happening around you so it was not a passive experience being in the audience of that show and even when you came into the theater they had the actors were there 
in the aisles waiting to go on. So you would interact with them as you went to your seats. It was so much fun. So talk to me a little bit about musical theater as an audience member in the 80s. Um, We've talked a lot on the on the podcast about the British invasion. Certainly we have these mega musicals like Cats. Right. But then there are also, you know, the Sondheim pieces like Sunday in the Park with George. Yeah. Uh, Lacage is still hanging around as kind of like a, a relic of what used to be mm-hmm. in terms of Golden Age Broadway. But the season before Mystery of Edwin Drood, the only real new original musical was Big River. So, right. And I think a lot of theaters were kind of empty at, at points in the 80s. So, it, you know, it was weird. It was definitely pre-Phantom, pre-Saigon. Mm-hmm. So there wasn't that big spectacle. Shows were smaller. And um, they could take more chances with things on Broadway, too, at that point. Ooh, interesting. So I think, you know, so that's how you got a Sunday in the Park with George and things like that. Another show that I just absolutely loved. And I know you were a fan of Little Shop of Horrors, too, oh which God. which is also showing, you know, the uprise of off-Broadway and the kinds of things that you can create there to, you know, to a huge degree. So that show, I mean, I saw it as a very young kid, but I did see um, the original production at the Orpheum was mm. like nothing I'd ever seen before or since. Think about it. This was before you knew that he was a dentist. That was hilarious. You know, you didn't know what was happening. (laughs) Um, And it was, you know, the Orpheum Theater is a small, intimate space. And I don't think that you can recreate that on a big stage, on a Broadway stage, which is why I think it didn't do well when it came back. In that revival. Yeah. Um, And, you know, I've seen the current revival that's running now. And it's, you know, it's great, but it's not it doesn't capture what you had back in the 80s when you didn't know going in what the show was. The element of surprise was really huge back then. So you had to have that element of surprise, I'm sure, going into Mystery of Edwin Drood as well. Not only because here was a brand new composer. Yeah. Doing a brand new show in a, a landscape where there aren't a lot of new shows. But even if you do know the twist, nobody knows how the show is going to end that night. Right. Exactly. And that's what made it so much fun going back and over and over again because it was going to be different. You hoped anyway, right? You didn't want sure. to see the same murderer more than once because, you know, <laughs> that seemed like a waste. <laughs> hey, listeners, have you tried Factor yet? Remember Factor Meals? They were supposed to send me a box to try out, but they don't ship to Hawaii. So now I'm stuck with my Taco Bell. And now it's up to you It's up to you to try it and let me know how it is because it's May and we can't eat like it's the holidays anymore. We're trying to get our summer bodies together and Factors Fresh Never Frozen Meals are dietitian approved and ready to eat in just two minutes. So no matter how busy you are, you'll always have time to enjoy nutritious, great tasting food. You can choose from six menu preferences to help you manage calories, maximize protein intake, avoid meat, whatever you want, it's here. Head to factormeals.com slash musicaltheater50 that's musical theater with an er and use code musical theater 50 to get 50 percent off your first box plus 20 percent off your next month that's code musical theater 50 at factormeals.com slash musical theater 50 to get 50 percent off your first box plus 20 percent off your next month while your subscription is active so the show debuts, once again, because of Joseph Papp and the New York Shakespeare Festival, it debuts at the Delacorte Theater in Central Park in, I think, 1985. It's a big hit. It's a big, rowdy, fun hit. It's also like three hours long. Yeah. It was <laughs> real lengthy. Still, it had enough steam to make a Broadway transfer. In making that Broadway transfer, though, Rupert Holmes talks about how Some of the criticism of shows that had transferred from the outdoor space was that all of a sudden you put four walls on it and the energy's gone, Mm -hmm. the danger's gone. And like, God bless him. And maybe you can share stories about him. He does not seem too precious about his work at all. No, no, not at all. Right. And I think he was just about making it work and finding a way. And so you have to make changes. It's in a different space. The nature of it is that you're going to have to adapt. Yeah, 100. And I think that this can definitely be seen throughout the history of, of mystery, throughout the history of mystery of Edwin Drew, <laughs> because 
every time they've mounted it, it's been a little bit different. Mm-hmm. He's always changing up the different confessions for whoever the killer might be. They wrote an entire new opening number when it debuted on Broadway because they wanted to really get that raucous body feel yeah. that the outdoor space had so naturally created. Uh, when the revival came, they added an entract and whole, you know, opening of the second act. So I didn't get to see the revival at Studio 54. Were you able to see it? I did not see it. Okay. Well, that makes two of us. Yeah. However, I did do this show in college. And huh? if you will just allow me, I'll tell you a little bit about that. So hi, we haven't ever met, but I served a mission as like an LDS missionary. Okay. Two years, you don't watch movies, you don't take in any sort of media whatsoever. I'm very much a musical theater nerd at this point. I come home and immediately go into college. Like the, I think the day after I got home from my mission, I started college. And I'm going into my like musical theater studies. Yeah. The university I was at at the time was doing The Mystery of Edwin Drood. Some poor guy who's in the ensemble, I don't remember his name, forgive me, hurts his knee during a game of volleyball, basically rips his ACL or whatever is down there and has to leave the show. It is the night before opening. Ah. So since I had just started my dance class and the director was, shout out Jim Christian, was teaching that dance class, he asked me if I'd be willing to go in and learn the show. I haven't been... The day before. I haven't been on a stage for two years. Yeah. And once again, all I've been doing is talking about Jesus. Literally that night, I'm finding myself like laying in an opium den. (laughs) (laughs) Well, that's a lot more fun. (laughs) Those types of extremes are hallmarks of my life and and make it both very entertaining and confusing. But so like that was my introduction into Mystery of Edwin Drood is like being shot out of a cannon as a poor sweet missionary and into an opium den. Um, have you, are you a performer? Like, do you I, well, also? I, not at this point in my life, but I was as a kid. Okay. Uh, yes. Yeah. And did you ever do the show? Was this ever a community I, theater? I was Rosa Bud. You were Rosa Bud. <laughs> I knew it. You did. It had to be. <laughs> yeah. Okay, so we're talking to a soprano. Yes, yes. Okay, then. <laughs> That's so sweet. So then how did you go from that into writing and in, in particular into fashion? Because oh, I find so, that really interesting. Uh, so I had been acting for 10 years as a kid. And so by the time I graduated college, I was just done. I wasn't having fun anymore. It was my whole life. I never knew anything else. And I just mm. really wasn't happy. I knew I I didn't want to do it anymore. And I had auditioned for a soap opera and it got down to the nitty gritty. And it was me and this other actress and the other actress got it. And it was Parker Posey. Oh, Um, but nobody knew who she was at the time. She was this other actress, right? Just Parker Posey with a great name. Right. Of course. So then she goes on to do a movie called Party Girl. And (laughs) I love that movie. And so that was the kind of role that I really would have loved to do. And it just made me think, well, I wonder if I had gotten the soap, if I would have been in line, you know, for that part. It it gave me the idea for my first book, which was called Casting Might Have Beens. And it was all stories about people who auditioned for roles that went to other people and the stories behind it. What happened? Why weren't they cast? And, you know, just fun stories like that. That's so interesting. And then I just really loved writing and I knew that that was what I wanted to do and I just became determined. So then fashion happened by accident. I mean, I had a lifelong obsession with shopping for sure. And I was always, I always loved fashion. Didn't ever think that it would be part of my career because I was always an actor. So then I had the idea that I wanted to write about New York Fashion Week because Mm. I had the opportunity to go to a show and when I would mention it to friends who didn't care about fashion in the least, every single person said, well, if you need someone to go with you, I'd love to go. So I realized that people wanted to know what happened in fashion week. So anyway, that's how I started to write about fashion. So I wrote that book, which led to um, 
me being given the chance to write the official book for Project Runway. And so it sort of took off from there. Crazy. So Yeah. Man, did I watch so many seasons of Project Runway, as and I'm sure so, you did. Absolutely. Well, it was my job to Hello, watch that was every your job. episode. Amazing. Well, I right? watched it like it was my job, but it was not. <laughs> so <laughs> I became really good friends with a lot of the designers on the show. And one of them I'm working with on a book that's coming out in April, which is the Tony Awards book, because Emilio Sosa, who was a designer on Project Runway, is a brilliant costume designer and also... Is he designing costumes now? Oh, my God. Yes. I don't think I knew that. Oh, I'll tell you what he did in a minute. But he is the chair of the American Theater Wing. So, yeah. So he brought me on to write this Tony Awards book. But he did just this past season. He did four shows. He did Sweeney Todd. He did. Yeah. He did. um, Oh, my gosh. What else did he do? Now I'm blanking. He did Oscar. I mean, he's done great work. He's a Tony nominee. He did Porgy and Bess. He's designed. How did I not know this? This is oh great. Like, we're God. talking about the same guy. I always think of him from Project Runway as putting black and, like, a bright cerulean blue together. Like, he was always really into that sort of, like, doing black and bright colors. Of course, it was, like, early 2000s. So, like, that right. makes sense. Yeah, but- no, he, yeah, he was great on the show. We bonded. I interviewed him for the book, for the Project Runway book, and we just... From that day on, we've been just close, close friends, and he is just the dearest friend. How cool. How cool is that? Okay, so then going into, and this will come back to Mystery of Evan Drude, I promise, but (laughs) how does fashion then play a role in costuming and musical theater? Because we've all done shows at regional houses where they have pictures of all of past productions, right? And regardless of whether or not they're doing period work, you can still tell when a production was from a certain time. Right. A hundred percent. It's so crazy because you can't help but be influenced by the time that you're in, even if right. designing a period piece. You're so right about that. So I just wrote a book that was out last November called Designing Broadway. And it was primarily about... It's beautiful, by the way. It's so, so pretty. Much- yeah primarily about set design, but we also cover costume design. And I just, I was so fortunate to get to speak with some of the most amazing costume designers like um, Tony Walton and Santa LaCosta and just all these, Mm. David Zinn, you know, who I just think is great. And you get to talking and a lot of them, they don't consider themselves fashion people. Some do, but not necessarily. It's really about serving the story so much more than, you know, in fashion, it's, it's all about the fantasy that you're creating and you know so a fashion show is somewhat similar to a broadway show but there are basic differences you know the certainly costume design doesn't have to be in the condition that you would need for every day right so that makes oh fair sense. enough yeah so the just the construction can be different a lot of the time it has to be sturdier because it there are a lot of demands on costumes especially if you have quick changes and things like that. And even like dance shoes, we were talking about, you know, like everyone's stuck with those boring low heels, right? And those are supposed to be sexy shoes. We need something sturdy. I know. Are you kidding me? Eight shows a week on like a pinpoint heel? That ain't going to fly. I know, but there's got to be some in between where the shoe can look better. Because I went to see Here Lies Love and I was so disappointed in the shoes. For Imelda Marcos, for no, you know. And I know the designer, he's amazing, Clint Ramos. I love him. And his work is beautiful on that show. And he didn't have that many options because they had to dance and move and run around that whole theater. Sure. So, but I feel like. Come on, Capizio or whoever, whoever's doing that. You got to make something. Make something a little sexier. <laughs> That's hilarious. Yeah. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> I rem- Speaking of, you know, like costumes needing to be sturdier. Mm-hmm. I once did a show in L.A. and they were so proud that they had brought on like a legit fashion yeah. TV film person for, for the, the theatrical production. And it, I was supposed to be a... Oh gosh, when I think about it, it makes me roll my eyes. I was supposed to be like a a dead World War One soldier. Okay. And she at my costume fitting was so excited because she had found an original World War One uniform for me to wear in the show. Okay. Now, that means it was 
all wool. Oh, yeah, right. Heavy. With like, and heavy with like 20,000 buttons down the front. <laughs> and it, and it, yeah. And I was running into change for that as a quick change after a dance number. So you're sweaty. Yeah. And trying to pull on the wool. And then, like, button it all up, all while, like, having the shivers because it's so – I my word for when I was little was frickly. It's so yeah. frickly against your skin. Anyway, uh, so, yeah, you're, you're totally right. The, the requirements are different, right? Yeah, right. Better to recreate, but something that moves and breathes for the stage. Sure, sure. Yeah. But to, <laughs> to your point, all about the story. Yeah, always. Well, since story is kind of the overriding necessity in in all of the collaborations of musical theater, let's go through the story of Mystery of Edwin Drood. Okay. Because uh, this is fantastic. <laughs> so when the show begins, once again, it's, it's Welcome to the English Music Hall. It's right. so theatrical. The number, There You Are, mm-hmm. right, which is <laughs> so cheeky and... You're like, oh, there you are. There's the audience right there. <laughs> it's it's literally meant to be sung to the audience. From the get-go, fourth wall is down. Even you were saying, like, uh, as you were coming into the theater, you were yeah. you were able to talk to actors. So fun. Right. They were in character, obviously. And they were also in the audience for their for that song. So when he would call out to them and they would have their solo lines, it would come from the audience. I love when Princess Puffer's like here I am, I'm finally walking down the aisle, you know, because <laughs> yeah. like so many great little gags. This number introduces us to all of the players, but not necessarily all of the characters of the piece. Right, right? Just, right because it's a play within a play. So you, the, he refers to them, the chairman, right, refers to them by their actor names, not the characters that are in Dickens' novel. Absolutely. So yes, you mentioned the chairman, originally played by the great George Rose. Yes. Um, do you know what? This maybe gets a little dark, but... Yeah, he was murdered during, during the, the run. Yes. Yeah. Isn't that crazy? So I and told you my teacher was directing the tour, so he was working with him when that happened. Oh, my gosh. It was crazy. So he would come in and talk to us about it. And it was like his adopted son murdered him. It was a crazy story. And then I he wasn't the only one. Like, the Reverend Chris Sparkle, I think the original one died before broadway happened oh, and so really? they like they changed the name of the actor uh-huh. so that that guy would have been the only person to play that does that make sense yes but it's just fascinating tragedies kind of around this whole thing um okay so the the chairman yes he introduces all of the the actors and then introduces the characters here are some of our characters in the mystery of edwin drood first up jasper Jasper is the choir master at, um, what's this place called again? Cloisteram. Oh, right, right, right. Yeah, I forgot that. But yes, absolutely. Yeah, he's like the classic villain. And in in every sense of the word, right? (laughs) Right. He's Uh, the one going to the opium den. Exactly. But he's uh, secretly going to the opium den. Right. Yeah, because he seems like an upstanding citizen. You mentioned this being before Phantom of the Opera, which yeah. is interesting because one of the other big things is that he is in love with his voice student. Right, Rosa in very, Bud. In very, in very much a, a Christine Dye sort of way. Yes, the great Rosa Bud played. <laughs> By me. Of beautifully, course. <laughs> of course. Yeah, um, but she's not into it. No, of course not. And actually, I don't... Is she quite younger? A lot younger and engaged to his nephew, Edwin Drood. Who happens to be Edwin Drood. Now, right. Edwin Drood in the play within the play is is that element of drag that we were talking about with the panto. Right. It's male drag. It's a woman uh, who's a, kind of a, a diva in the, <laughs> in the English music scene. And she is playing the role of Edwin Drood. One of the reasons why Rupert Holmes did this, he said, is because the thought of writing a love duet for two sopranos excited him so much in oh, 1985 wow. that he's like, I have to do this. We have oh, to cool. do this. How fun is that? And once again, very much ahead of its time. Now, I got to see a lot of different Edwin Drudes, and they were all amazing. So I saw Tell Betty me. Buckley. Which, that I voice. Think, yeah, you right? listen to that original cast album. Uh, 
it just flies out of her mouth, that like steely power. Oh, it's amazing. And I mean, it's hard to imagine now, but she was right off of Cats pretty much. Right. This is her big follow up to her, you know, to win in the Tony for Cats. For her breakthrough, really. People Mm -hmm. knew her from TV, but not in the same way. And then I saw Donna Murphy was next. Because she was an understudy in the ensemble. Yeah. And then ended up taking over the role. And then I thought Paige O'Hara. Belle herself from Beauty and the Beast. That's so cool. How fun. That cast, I mean, maybe even more importantly than having some sad tragedies attached to it, had some incredible talent buried everywhere. Totally. Not only did you have all of those people, you had Judy Kuhn in the ensemble, who right. was about to go on and do Les Mis. Right, like one of the biggest shows, Bad and Phantom of the 80s, yeah. Yeah, 100%. You also had legends like Cleo Lane, who mm-hmm. was the mistress of the opium den, right. Princess Puffer. Yeah. Kind of a well-known chanteuse. And right. then, so so I saw her, and then Loretta Swit took over for her. From MASH? From MASH. So I didn't know that she was a musical theater performer, so that was fun just to see, you know, Margaret Houlihan play Princess Puffer. <laughs> and <laughs> How then, fun is that? Oh, my God, so much fun. But then when I went to that rehearsal for the national tour, it was Gene Stapleton playing it. Oh, my gosh. I know. That was huge. From uh, from all, all in the family, family. yeah. Oh my gosh, how cool! How was she? Did she still have that voice? Like, because that was just her voice, right? <laughs> she could change it. No, that okay. wasn't her voice. That was not her voice. No, no, oh, she okay, put that bad. on. So she had like a deeper, more serious voice. You know? Oh, how um, fun! She was great. Oh, that's wonderful. Yeah, I love hearing that. So, uh, as we mentioned. Jasper's going and participating in the opium den. The reason for him doing so is that he's so villainously in love with Rosebud that he goes to the opium den to like process all of his feelings um, with (laughs) with drugs. Right. And also this strange wine. He's like starting to mix things, which is not great. Also in the mix are the landless twins, Neville and uh, Helena. Now, Helena, Helena, Helena. I'm not sure. Yeah. Well, in the 80s, they pronounced it Helena. (laughs) Oh, fair enough. On Broadway, yes. Here's the thing. And this is where we get into a little bit of what I call black ketchup areas. Okay. Charles Dickens was known for writing some culturally insensitive things, maybe even downright racist things. Mm -hmm. When you look at Oliver and the way that he talked about Jewish people and in his, he did this, one of his first books was uh, looked down pretty harshly on Indians, the Indian culture. Yeah. It seems that by the time he writes Mystery of Edwin Drood, he's changed his mind a little bit. And I say that because the main thrust of these two characters is that they were born in Ceylon. Yes. As British citizens. Right. And so there's a, a little bit of... British colonialism buried within this show. Neville, the the twin brother, is very angry about being British but not being treated like that because of the color of his skin. Um, Not to mention they had a really, really difficult childhood where their father was beating Helena. And so he's trying to write these two characters in a in a much more sympathetic and empathetic way yes. than Charles Dickens had done in the past. Yeah. Now, in the musical, traditionally, these have been played by white people with very dark makeup. Mm-hmm. They're they're almost making fun of exoticism. This idea right. of like. A, 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 a geographically untraceable accent, right? right. And that's a line from the show. Yeah. However, that that tradition seems to have continued, despite the fact that we we talk more about representation and casting. What? How? How do you feel about this? Does this feel icky or sticky to you at this um, point? Well, I see it both ways, but yeah. I think you know that you have to do it the way it would have been done in the you know. In the old time English, you know. That's true. I mean, I guess if you're doing it that way, then you have a, there's an argument to be made of this is how it would have been done in the same way that uh, the woman is doing drag to play. Right. While still being as sensitive as you can, obviously. Um, But, you know, I think what goes, 
to the favor of the show is that it was it was not done to poke fun of you know mm-hmm. these people. Yeah, it's to make fun of white way. people, not Indians. Right. I think it pokes more fun at the English in that For respect. Sure. Those people, you know, yeah. as opposed to you know the people from Ceylon at the time. Right. Well, and, and so it got me thinking, like, okay, if you do the show nowadays, you probably need to. Do you need to to use people of at least South Asian or or Indian ancestry to tell the story? And I kind of think you do, because when you look at their big song, which is either once again, because Rupert Holmes changed it a lot, it's either Ceylon or a British citizen, a mm-hmm. British subject, a British subject. Okay. The main thrust of both of those songs is like we love our homeland, and it's really frustrating that to come here and not be able to assimilate, even though the British have taken over our homeland. Well, I so, think you're right, because I think that, you know, we, we certainly view wearing dork makeup very differently than we oh, did at one point, right? Right, 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 right. Either way, interesting characters for sure. Oh my gosh, and, audience favorites, especially yeah. Helen. Oh my gosh, Helena is because <laughs> she's just so over the top, right? This actress who's playing the character. She would um, almost always be the villain back in the eighties. Really? Almost always, yeah. That's interesting. Yeah. So a woman named Janice Schneider originated the part and she was brilliant. And then Alison Fraser took over and she was great too. From so, Secret Garden. Yeah. Another interesting story, Janice Schneider, is yeah. that how you say it? Mm-hmm. She then became like a reporter for Sarajevo. Really? Yeah. Wow. And like would do photography journalism and, so in war zones and huh. kind of left the business. Go figure. Wow. I mean, you know, it, it was a blow to the business because she was so good. No, that's that's cool to hear. All right. Let's see who else we haven't talked about. Oh, the Landless Twins are here courtesy of the Reverend Chris Sparkle, who is exactly how he sounds. He's a reverend. He um, is seeking for peace and has made an, an agreement with Jasper that the Landless Twins can stay at his, you know, spacious sort of mansion for the holidays. But he goes a little dark, too, Chris Sparkle, because he was in love with Rosebud's mother and may or may not have killed her. At one point. It was unrequited. (laughs) By the way, everyone, we're each coming to this recording with our own choices and our own votes. So we will be talking later about who we think did it and why. All right. We talked about Princess Puffer. Have we talked? Oh, Dirtle. Let's talk about Dirtle. Right. Isn't that his name? Dirtles? Dirtles. Dirtles oversees kind of the catacombs. He's in, yeah. in charge of setting up everybody's tombs and keeping the grounds nice. And then he has a sidekick named Deputy. Right. And Dirtles is very much like the clown vaudevillian that you would think of like, bom, 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 bom. <laughs> you know. So uh, Rupert originally wrote Deputy for this actor who he was friends with, Donnie Kerr. He wanted him to play the part. And Deputy had a song at one point. And really? Then, yes. I forget why it didn't work out oh interesting well yeah. like we said it was it, it was, was a lengthy yeah. three <laughs> <laughs> and that's not a character that really advances the plot in any way the, another character that doesn't advance the plot but is really fun to talk about is bazard uh well bazard is a big catalyst though for you know the the end of the play usually for sure for sure the the joke of bazard is that he's introduced quite ceremoniously in charles dickens the mystery of edwin drood and then nothing comes of him. Right. So, like, there's this question uh, that he has this mystery. There's a lot, you know, and <laughs> but, like, nobody knows what that is. So Rupert Holmes very ingeniously created that role to be played by a character who's always wanted better roles. I mean, that's so smart to do. So smart. Okay. I think that's everybody. So now the story, Edwin Drood arrives to visit his uncle, Jasper, right? And his betrothed, Rosabud. Jasper is feigning to, you know, be a kinsman. Right. And they sing that, that, of course, that great duet. All the while loathing him because he is marrying the woman that he wants. He has, and this is straight from the novel, he has written a song for Rosabud to sing. And it's such 
incredible musical storytelling that Rupert Holmes says this was probably the moment that made him realize that he needed to make this musical is that Jasper's song allows Rosa to say the things that Jasper wishes she would say. Ah, so he writes it. So he writes it and says, you need to sing this, right? You're my student. This is your next assignment. Meanwhile, she has to stand there and sing to him his words of love. And it's horrifying. Which is is horrifying and creepy and gorgeous. And the song Moonfall, I think, was in every Sopranos audition book for a good 20 years. I have another quote from Rupert Holmes specifically about writing Moonfall. He says, I delayed writing it. There was a space set aside for it, and I moved past that moment in the show and wrote some other songs. Like, the, the task was too daunting. He knew that it was such a great moment, but he didn't want to do it. One day, I came back to my office after lunch, and believe me, I'm not saying anything supernatural is going on, but I sat down and played Moonfall almost exactly as you now hear it, and almost without interruption. It's actually kind of intricate harmonically, in the bridge chromatically. It's a toughie, but all of that came in one sitting. It really seemed to write itself. That's amazing. Yeah, I'm I'm sure you've heard lots of those types of things talking to designers as well right well i'll tell you i i heard something like that from another composer from john kander i was able to talk to him for my tony awards book how dare you you get to talk to john kander by the way oh my gosh Uh, legend right and he said you know it's like when you have a conversation you don't think about what you're going to say you just say it and he said that's what happens with my hands when i sit down at the piano i don't think about it and then it just comes out what a talent for that to happen. Oh my gosh. So I know. I mean that that's really beautiful when you think when one's talent is as easy as conversation or maybe even right. easier than conversation, right? Maybe conversation yeah. is someone else's talent and his his version of that is sitting down and having a conversation with a piano. Like that's Amazing. It's incredible. Hey listeners, have you tried Factor yet? Remember Factor Meals? They were supposed to send me a box to try out, but they don't ship to Hawaii, so now I'm stuck with my Taco Bell. And now it's up to you. It's up to you to try it and let me know how it is, because it's May. And we can't eat like it's the holidays anymore. We're trying to get our summer bodies together, and Factor's fresh, never-frozen meals are dietitian approved and ready to eat in just two minutes. So, no matter how busy you are, You'll always have time to enjoy nutritious, great-tasting food. You can choose from six menu preferences to help you manage calories, maximize protein intake, avoid meat, whatever you want, it's here. Head to factormeals.com slash musicaltheater50, that's musicaltheater with an E-R, and use code musicaltheater50 to get 50% off your first box plus 20% off your next month. That's code musicaltheater50 at factormeals.com slash musicaltheater50 to get 50% off your first box plus 20% off your next month while your subscription is active. Moonfall happens. Rosabud is really freaked out by her teacher and kind of says, I I think we need to break <laughs> you know we need a break we need to go ways and i i mean and i am supposed to be marrying edwin drood now here's the thing edwin drood and rosabud have been betrothed for many many years but they don't actually love each other right they just it's like a, an arranged marriage and they're not into it they don't mm-hmm. know how they feel actually they're ambivalent enter the landless twins creating more interesting conversations. Edwin Drood very arrogantly says that his big project that's coming up is he's going to build a road all the way across Egypt. And in order yeah. to do that, he's going to use the stone from the Great Pyramids. <laughs> and of course, that completely horrifies the Landises. And he's like, what? It's a great of idea. Course. You know what I mean? Because as a British person, he doesn't understand that, that that might offend people in their in their native lands. So, uh, well, like Edwin Drood is not a likable character. He's kind he's, of a dick. It's a really great point, and it also makes it even more delicious when like nobody likes the actress who's playing him. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. Yeah. They're rolling their eyes uh, all the time about all of her demands and things. So you're exactly right. There are plenty of reasons for people to dislike this guy who ends up going missing. And that's how and that's what ends up happening is that on Christmas Eve, after this dinner where there's a lot of fire and fighting, he decides that he's going to go for a walk 
uh, down by the river. He has this kind of thin coat. So Jasper gives him his coat and says, you need to right. wear this coat. And big Neville. Plot point. Big plot coat. point. <laughs> and then Neville joins Edwin Drood for this walk. And that is the last time anyone sees Edwin Drood. All that they find is the coat tattered with blood on it. So nobody knows what's happened. Yeah. So now in the second act, six months have passed. Edwin Drood is still missing. But uh, there appears this private detective by the name of Dick Datchery. Yeah, this mysterious. This mysterious man. And we're led to believe that Dick Datchery might be someone else in disguise. And there have been clues all along. For example, Helena Landis, she said that she dressed up as a boy when she was younger. Right. right? That's um, right. <laughs> they highlight these lines. They come back. <laughs> yes. Just to remind everybody that like this could also be anybody. And it's being di- played by the actress playing Edwin Drood, we should Thank say. You. So it's a Thank female playing. Yeah. But it gets even more complex because one of the things that scholars have agreed upon is that Dick Datchery couldn't be Edwin Drood. It was also in her contract that she had to be featured in the second act. So that was... <laughs> yeah, so that helps <laughs> That's <too. laughs> the That helps too. Princess Puffer has also taken on the job of investigating because turns out Rosa Bud means a lot to her. Oh, she, right. I forgot it, that. That's right. She was like the nanny of yes. Rosa Bud before Rosa Bud's mom was killed mysteriously. Right. And before she, you know, lived the life of, you know, the opium den. Exactly. <laughs> Once we get to this point, the show stops during this great number. Don't quit while you're ahead. The chairman says, This is when Charles Dickens died. And like everything just stops. Literally right. everybody freezes, right? Such a great, <laughs> such a a great conceit. Yeah. Right. I love oh, all, that. So smart. There are so many other great songs too. So if you don't know this show, go ahead and listen to it. Off to the Races. Terrific song, which is obviously playing on the horse racing in in England, but also saying don't jump to any conclusions. You may not have all of the information. If you do, then you might be off to the races. Uh, right. There's this great line in that song that says something like, um, having patience is as good as having brains, so take your bloody time. Uh, <laughs> really, really clever lyric writing. Yeah. Now we're to the end. We're to the end, and we need to figure out three things. Well, four things. Number one, and right. I want to talk... not just the murderer. Yeah, yeah, it's no, so it's, it's many things. The first thing we got to figure out, and I want to hear your opinion. Do you think okay. Edwin Drood is alive or dead? I think Edwin Drood is alive. So, like, if we were in the oldie timey times reading Mystery of Edwin Drood, your theory would be that Edwin Drood has not been killed. Yes. I would agree with you because, okay. and they even say this in the show. They go through the different titles, like the working titles that Charles Dickens played with, and never was it the death of Edwin Drood or the murder of Edwin right, Drood right, right. Or, or anything to do with killing. So, okay, we agree on that point. Yes. Edwin Drood is probably still alive. So now we need to decide who's Dick Datchery, who tried to kill Edwin Drood because there was blood on the coat and he's missing. Right, something happened. Something yes. went down, even if yeah, it is right. just attempted murder. And then the thing that they add for the musical is who are the lovers? Who ends up together so we have at least one little happy ending? Okay? And it ends with the love song, which is so cute. It's so cute. So who are your choices? Who do you think is Dick Datchery, the private investigator? Um, that's the hardest one to me because it seems the most arbitrary. Like, I don't really know who I think it is. I don't know. I feel like maybe Princess Puffer, but that seems sort of oh, like but, it's already in the plot. So it can't be well, her. I, it can't be her also because she and Dick Datchery have scenes together. That's right. That's right. They work together. I forgot. So maybe Chris Sparkle? I don't know. Mm, interesting. I like that. I like Although, that. But maybe 
Maybe it actually is Bazard who always would get the audience's vote because it that's was- my vote. That's the clear vote for me. Got it because because who else would he have been? Why else yeah. would he be in the story? He's not connected to anybody. And we're totally on the same page too because he doesn't have any like skin in the game. Right. That's right. Him trying to investigate everything makes sense because he kind of has the cleanest slate. Right. So, yeah. It's got to be. All right. I'm completely won over. Now I have a strong opinion on that. Okay. We got. (laughs) (laughs) So now who tried to kill Edwin Drood? Because here are the options. Somebody thought that they were killing Jasper because he was wearing the coat. Or somebody was trying to kill Edwin Drood himself. Those are the two Mm -hmm. options. And depending on which one you think is true depends on which villain you choose. I have always thought that it was pretty straightforward and that there was no big twist. I always thought it was supposed to be John Jasper. Sure. But the argument against that is that it wouldn't be much of a mystery because from the get-go, he's been such the villain. There's no twist in him being the killer because he's been a killer type. You're right. But wasn't it... It sort of that was kind of how it was back then, how people wrote things. Now, yeah. it's never the obvious candidate, but I don't think that was the trend back when Charles Dickens was writing this. And, and that's, a great, that's a great point. But I even think of maybe Great Expectations, and who's the guy, who's the murderer guy who we end up actually liking that's taking care of Pip, but yeah. you know, like there's right. a, he, mm-hmm. he sometimes will create some sympathy. Even Fagin like has aspects of his personality that are not great, but he's still lovable. Whereas Bill Sykes mm-hmm. is just evil. Yeah. I don't I, 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 I see your point. Who do you think it is? Well, who do I want it to be? I want it to be Reverend Chris Barkle. <laughs> Well, yeah, want it to be is different. I want to see that play out. Who do I think actually... I want it to be Rosebud. That would be fun. Well, because the other thing is that Neville says that he doesn't remember anything after getting to the river with Edwin Drew. Mm -hmm. But that also might just be because Jasper's been doing crazy stuff with the wine and opium that like nobody's in their right minds. Right. I don't think Neville is the fun choice for sure. (laughs) And seeing what we talked about in terms of how Charles Dickens had evolved his views on racial issues, I want Mm -hmm. to think that he was maybe trying to teach society in his somewhat optimistic way that these quote-unquote savages who we've all been treating this way weren't actually yeah. the killer you know there's a real possibility that people reading this story back then would have been like it was the landises of course that's who they are yeah that makes sense actually and maybe <laughs> may, right well i'm hoping exactly uh, maybe i'm giving him too much credit so then like going through and having jasper actually be the guy who tried to kill edwin drood makes sense because we're choosing the choir master white guy over the people from Ceylon. And maybe that's the twist. Maybe that's kind of the point of the story. I don't know. Although you're right, because the Reverend would be even, you know, an even bigger sure. degree. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. It's that on steroids. You're exactly right. Exactly. Because he, he is obsessed with Rosabud his, and would be really angry that Drude was going to marry Rosabud. Yeah. Anyway, I may, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go with Reverend Chris Barkle. And you can go with Jasper, okay. and we'll have our, our bases covered. <laughs> Good. <laughs> the last thing is, who do you want to see get together? Okay, well, it's it was always like the biggest mismatch, so that was always so much fun. It was usually Princess Puffer with someone. But now, if you did the show today, it wouldn't have to be a male and female. It could be, you know, you could mix That's the true. genders, which would be even more fun. Go with so, Princess Puffer uh, and Helena. You, that would be steamy. <laughs> you could do, yeah. It could be Reverend Chris Sparkle and, uh, and Neville. Who knows? There you go. Oh, <laughs> that's actually kind of fantastic. I would also love yeah. to see, I would love to see Dirtles in a romantic role as well, if possible. Because yeah. he's so disgusting uh, and, and foul <laughs> that I kind of want to see like Rosa Bud end up with him or something like that. <laughs> how 
how cute. All right, so after all of these things have been chosen, and I assume that in the revival, p- people voted with their phones. They didn't do like the tally. Yeah, I don't know. We yeah. should have found out. It didn't Somebody even... can yell at me on Instagram and say, this is how it was done. <laughs> but originally, like you said, it was all it was done by paper. And then the poor stage manager had yeah. to count everything as fast as they could and then tell everyone, it's this person, it's person. That, but the cast didn't know. Only the actor who was chosen knew. So even the cast was surprised every night on stage. Oh, that's so true. That's a great point. Because the chairman basically goes, the killer is... And then the person steps forward and the whole cast is like, what? Right. Oh, that's so fun. It's so theatrical. (laughs) You can't do this in the movies. This is great. (laughs) Yeah. After this all plays out, we see who Dick Datchery was. We see who the lovers were. We see who the killer was. Then it turns out that old Dirtles himself had actually witnessed something after Edwin Drood was killed. And by that, it's that he wasn't killed. He was taken down into the sepulcher, the, you know, the catacombs, whatever. And he was just knocked unconscious. And so Edwin Drood rises from the dead, essentially. And... Right, stayed missing. And then makes this big reappearance at the end of the musical to sing... With this amazing song. The Writing on the Wall. An incredible song that maybe puts fear in the heart of all belters everywhere. The end of this song. Yeah. It's like an E flat or something like that. Insane. Betty Buckley was so great. Yeah. Wow. (laughs) So exciting. It's so absolutely thrilling to hear the actress sing this song. But I do want to read here as we're coming to a close. I want to read the lyrics to it. Because the truth is, is that most, if not all of Charles Dickens stories we're meant to make everyone feel hope in the same way that I think a lot of musicals are. Mm -hmm. Edwin says, Edwin sings, is it clear if you hear my voice, then you're alive. What a bloody marvel we survive when you think of every risk we face in our mad human race. I have read the writing on the wall, try to live forever and give up never. The fight you'll need the wherewithal. Can't you heed the writing on the wall? It's so great. So good. Yeah. It's so sweet. And and like life affirming and makes you feel like a million bucks. And you leave the theater ready to seize your day and, you know, live your life to the fullest. What more could you want? Yeah. Well, 100%. you want to go back and see who was the murderer the next night. <laughs> <laughs> good point. Good point. <laughs> Thank you so much for doing this with me. What a fun time. What do you think will be the future of this show? Do you think it will continue Mr. being Edwin done? Mm-hmm. I think that the show should definitely continue to be done. I think that me, there are me so too, many. Me too, by the way. I'm hoping. Yeah, I'm hoping. Definitely. Well, so the revival was super successful. Fair enough. People and a lot of people discovered it then and fell in love with it. I have a friend, um, Matt, and it, it's his favorite show now because he saw the revival. Oh my gosh! So yeah, so he loves it. Um, you know, Rupert can update it. If he wants to. He has no problem doing that. No. (laughs) But not that it needs anything, but he certainly could if he wanted to. And just with technology, you know, there are different ways that you could play around with the show also. You could do a live stream and have the world vote on who, you know, the the murderer is and the lovers are and Dick Datchery, all of that. That's really fun. That's so true. You could even go down the road of, you know, these English music hall people are like, we hear that you have these little contraptions in your pockets. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> Why not make a modern English e- music hall? Exactly. Exactly. Why not? <laughs> and it, despite it being an 80s show, it doesn't sound like an 80s show. It feels much more classic. Sometimes you put on 80s cast recordings and you've got like da, 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 with all of these yeah. synthesizers yeah. and things. And, and, and that's not the show. The score is, is pretty classic. Thanks to old Rupert Holmes Do you want to hear himself. something funny? Please. <laughs> so, um, again, for the Tony book, I got to interview a lot of people. And Andrew Lloyd Webber was one of them. And his hold music is the Phantom theme song. <laughs> Isn't that funny? <laughs> Hold please for Andrew Lloyd Webber, and then you the whole exactly, and then you, exactly. Then you hear in sleepy sang to me. 
So I, I even teased That's him incredible. about it. He was a good sport. As always, if you have recommendations for shows you'd like us to cover here on A Musical Theater Podcast, you can always email me at amusicalpodcast at gmail.com. Be sure to follow us on social media. We're on Instagram and TikTok. We're also on X, though. To be honest, I'm not on there much, guys. I'll post links and stuff, but I, I just can't. Um, we also have Patreon! Exclamation point, Where for only $1 a month, you can receive bonus content and support the show. We have our Tee Public store, which is full of great designs and the profits we receive from that. We donate to Broadway Cares Equity Fights AIDS. Give us a nice review and rating if you'd like, and just know that I'm so grateful to have you here as part of our wonderful podcasting community. Hey, tell us how we buy your books and everything you got going on, because I know you got so many projects. I do. I have a lot of projects, but I would love for people to buy my books. I'm so proud of Designing Broadway. That's my book on set design. Um, but it's not only sets, it's costumes, lighting, all my books are on amazon.com. But if you're, if you go to the museum of Broadway, you could get designing Broadway. I know. I I haven't been yet. I am so jealous. Come to New York and I will meet you there. Okay. (laughs) We'll have to go. Oh my gosh, please. It's so much fun. And also at the drama bookshop, they carry designing Broadway. That's such a dream come true for me because I grew up going shopping at the drama bookshop and now to have a book there is not lost on me oh that's so cute and you can pre-order my tony awards book on amazon i think i know what i'm asking my mom for christmas this year because <laughs> i i'm so obsessed with the tony awards we didn't even mention the fact that mystery of edwin drude won best musical in 1986 but uh that's right. but it, and, rupert- and rupert won for music for his score and for his book. And the book. He's got two. Yeah. Two Tonys. The director won. Um, George Rose won. It was, they, they cleaned up that year. They did really well. Thank you again, Isla. You're wonderful. And uh, everyone out there, read the writing on the wall. Hey, it's Leslie Odom Jr. here on the Broadway Podcast Network to tell you about the RISE Theatre Directory, a program of maestro music. RISE is a national online resource designed to connect and empower backstage and administrative and creative theatre professionals from underrepresented backgrounds. If you work or aspire to work in the theater community, this can help you find your next project. And if you hire theater professionals, search the Rise Theater directory to find your next team. Create your profile now and get more information by visiting risetheater.org. That's theater with an R-E-R-I-S-E-T-H-E-A-T-R-E dot org because only together we rise.